Good morning, everybody. Welcome. Uh, if you're new here, my name is David, and I am the pastor here at Redeemer Church. And uh, as we start the summer, we start off a brand new series uh, called Find Your Five. And this is a series about relationships. What we're going to do in this series is actually I'm going to challenge you to have five very specific relationships in your lives. And actually, we think uh, relationships are a really important part of what God has created us for. In the beginning, God created uh, us, and he said, it is not good for man to be alone. It's not good for us to be isolated individuals. And so one of the really important things about experiencing a life that God uh, created us for, wants us to have, is to have friendships, to have some, some very key friendships in our lives. And what's interesting about friendships is that not all of them are created equal. They're not all the same. If you think about the people who are friends in your life, uh, there are a lot of different kinds of friends that you have. I have a very different relationship with my wife as, as a friend than I have with my brother Jacob as a friend. And I'm glad about that. It would be awkward. Uh, and, 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 and actually, uh, what, what we're trying to say in this series is, is actually, and I think in the Bible there's a really good case for this as well, is that there are specific kinds of friends that, that fill specific kinds of roles in our life that are very important. And, and what we're going to do over these next five weeks is talk about five friends, five roles uh, that, that, that I would encourage you guys to have. I'm going to challenge you to find your five. That's the point, the name of the series. You need a truth teller in your life. You need someone to mentor you in your life. <clears throat> you need to have a mentee. You need to have somebody you're pouring into. Uh, you need an encourager in your life, and you need an outlier. And over the next five weeks, we'll talk about what each of those relationships look like. And, uh, and I hope that uh, as you guys hear these messages, you'll be inspired yourselves to find your five. Um, I'm going to go ahead and invite uh, our guest preacher up this morning. I'll be back in the pulpit next week, but this, this morning we get to hear uh, from Mr. James McHenry. Here he is. We're juggling mics. We're going to get it. All right. How's everybody doing this morning? Good? All right. So, um, as usual, before we get started, I wanted to do a quick prayer. Uh, so if you bow your heads with me real quick. Heavenly Father, today we're going to talk about your truth. So Lord, just I ask and have faith that my brokenness will not get in the way of that truth and that message reaches out to these people. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. So we are talking about truth tellers. Um, show of hands, how many people have a truth teller, they think, in their lives? Okay. <clears throat> how many want somebody that is a truth teller in, in their life? How many would rather have less truth tellers in their life? Okay, all right, <laughs> That's right here, all right. Oh, well, uh, as we all know, you know, there's, there's a whole lot of different forms of that truth telling person, and that's what we're gonna go into today, but it is absolutely 100% uh, something that all of us need, whether we want to admit it or not. And so, um, jumping into this, uh, let me ask you a question. How many of you, show of hands, have ever screamed at a sporting event? Okay, leave them up. Leave them up if you've only ever screamed positive things at a sporting event. That includes the Little League. Okay, we got a couple people. That last service, all the hands went down. I was like, man, that's honest. We got a couple people who, who can keep their cool. I thought at first, I was like, man, I never really 
yelled anything negative at a sporting event. I was telling Jordan on the way in this morning, I was like, you know, I was thinking about it, and then I was like, oh, wait, Aggie baseball. Nope, no, I definitely have said some pretty bad things at those sporting events. So, no, that, that definitely not me. So, at uh, those sporting events, have you ever heard somebody say this phrase, you're the man? You ever heard that? Right? Or you go, girl. You heard that? I know it sounds awkward when I say that, but, <laughs> but you all have heard that before, right? And so can we all generally agree that when somebody says, you're the man or you go, girl, that that is a positive, affirming statement, right? All right? You, if somebody tells you that, you feel pretty good about yourself. Um, you're, you hear somebody tell that to somebody else, you're like, hey, man, what'd they do that, that everybody's really screaming their name and backing them up, right? You're the man. You go, girl. How many of you know or, or knew that it's biblical, that is thousands of years old. Like literally that phrase is thousands of years old. I'm going to prove it to you. Anybody know that other than the people that were here the first service? I didn't, I didn't know that, right? Um, it wasn't until I asked David, I was like, hey, man, you do this truth teller piece. I need a, a scripture reference. And, and David goes, Nathan and David, that's your scripture reference. And he's like, look it up. And I was like, oh, okay. And he's dead on. It was, it was perfect. So I'm, about to, I'm going to read this. Um, before we go fully into it, it's uh, 2 Samuel 12, verse 7. So, then Nathan said to David, you are the man, right? There it is. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul, right? <clears throat> That's a pretty bold and awesome statement of affirmation, right? From Nathan to David, okay? So, Nathan is David's truth teller. He's, he's one of David's trusted advisors. He's been with David from the get-go, okay? Um, he's always been there. He was considered a, a prophet at the time, but, but he was one of David's sounding boards, right? He guided him in right wisdom, informed by the Spirit from the Father, okay? So would you all agree that, that we need a Nathan, that person that's going to tell us the truth, or is the one that's going to say, you're the man, right? We need that person, or you go, girl? Okay. Anybody don't think that we need that person in our life? I don't think so. Okay. So that person is also somebody, I think, that is going to go shoulder to shoulder with us, right? That they got our back. You, you've heard that. You know, the friend that's got your back no matter what, right? As a, one song put it, I, I think it's, you know, backing up your best friend even when you know they're wrong, right? In this case, that's not the case today. But that person who's always there for you. But there's one key trait about a truth teller that not only are they there shoulder to shoulder, right? Are they going to jump in and whatever mission you're launching on. But they're also going to be willing to turn and step in front of you and punch you squarely in the face with the much needed truth you need to bring you back into right relation with the Father, back into line, right? So it's not always a pleasant exchange between you and that truth teller. They may have your back and they're shoulder to shoulder with you fighting, but they're also going to slap you upside the head when you need it, right? So that title and what we're going to talk about today with the truth teller and, and what I have learned in preparing this, it, very eloquently put, and I think it's the best descriptor of, of this person, they call him an editor, right? The editor in your life. It was, a, it was a while back that David looked at me when we were having a one-on-one, -on -one, and he said, you need an editor in your life. And now I fully understand what that means. At the time, I was like, right, yes, I need an editor. You know, I, I didn't really know. And so the thing is, there's two brutally honest friends. When we think of editors, they're that brutally honest person that, that steps into your life to edit what you got going on, right? To bring you that truth you need to guide you back on the right path. So a lot of us think 
we have that person in our life, and we may not. A lot of us are quite sure that we do, but for sure we all need that person. And so the question is, how do we identify who that person is? Because there's two types of brutally honest friends, right? And at different stages of your life, this, this can change. But especially when you're younger, it, it may be a little bit different because not everybody has the wisdom and learning, uh, but, but the cold hard truth is still there. So you've got one friend who is informed by the world. They, they bring to you, that brutally honest friend, what they think should happen, right? Whenever you go to them, you bring something to them, hey, I, I need your advice on this, they're going to tell you, well, you know, I think you should do such and such and so and so. And the world, contemporary society, right, says you should do X. Then you have the other friend who is informed by the Spirit, right? They are, they are guided while the first friend uh, wants to, to give you advice and bring you truth from the world, right, around them. This friend wants to guide you and is guided by the truth that created the world around you, right, from eternity. So how do we know that difference between the two? Okay, how do we discern which one is the truth teller informed by the Spirit and which one is just coming out of their own uh, box in the corner of their own opinions or what the world sage would do? Let's look at Scripture. We're going to jump into Matthew chapter 16, verse 21 through 23. This is actually an example of an editor, uh, a person who thought he was an editor, right? And then tried to edit the last person in human history that should ever needed to be edited, never needed to be edited, right? But he thought that he could step in there and do that. So this is an example of doing it the wrong way, okay? So this is between Peter and Jesus. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Bold to rebuke the Son of God, right? The living God. I mean, that's, that takes some audacity, we'll put it that way. Um, but Peter does it. And he does it because he's not thinking about Christ's mission, even though Jesus has explained to him over and over again, like, hey, here's the things that must take place. You hear him say that throughout. Because he knows what his mission is, okay? And Peter's still fighting against it. He's like, no, Lord, these things aren't going to happen this way. And she's saying, hey, man, get behind me. You're more worried about what you want. You're more worried about what the world thinks should happen. And you're less concerned about what the Father needs to happen, right? And you look at Peter. I mean, he didn't even pick it up then. Not too much longer after this, they're in the Garden of Gethsemane. And what happens? The guards come up, just as Jesus foretold what happened. They come to carry him away. What does Peter do? He pulls a sword out and chops the guy's ear off, right? Jesus has to clean that one up too. He heals the guy. He's like, hey, man, what are you do? I told you this was going to happen. Stop trying to make it your way. Stop living out of your own advice. Be informed by the Spirit and understand what the mission is that must take place, right? So Peter messed that one up pretty bad, okay? And we, we, a lot of times we have those brutally honest friends that as much as they, they may love us, if they're not informed by the Spirit, then it's not we're not being guided by the truth that we need to be guided by, right? So that was the, the wrong way, all right? So let's take a look at the right way, okay? 
So I'm going to put this in context. Uh, we can go ahead and get 2 Samuel uh, 12, 1 through 7 up there. Okay. So to put this in context, King David is known as a man after God's own heart, right? One of the heroes of the Bible. One of the things that adds credibility to the Bible is that it also talks about the, the fallibility of the heroes. It talks about their faults, the things that they did wrong, okay? And a lot of the religious texts don't do that. So David, in this case, he's up on the palace wall. He's looking down in the courtyard. There's a fountain down there, and uh, he sees Bathsheba. And he said, man, I, I want to sleep with that woman. I want to take her for my own, right? And so... He does that. He commits adultery with her, but now there's a problem. She has a husband, so he's got to clean that one up too. So he sends word via messenger to the front line to the soldiers of the, and because her husband is fighting for him on the front line, right? He sends a message, hey, if you can, shift it to where Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, gets exposed on the line and he's cut down in battle. And so his messengers carry out his mission. Uriah is killed, and now David has committed adultery and murder to satisfy his lust, right? So that's the context leading up to this verse. And so we're going to read through. Remember, think about that truth teller, right? Here's Nathan. The Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb that he had bought. He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Right? So David's, he's ticked, right? Who, who would do such a thing? And then Nathan said to David, You are the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all Israel and Judah, and if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with a sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house. Because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. David, you are that guy. You are the man. And you got a cause for concern at this point. Now understand something. Nathan is a trusted advisor of King David, right? They've been together a long time. But even then, if David had been having a bad day, he was well within his rights as king to put Nathan to death for even speaking to him that way, advisor or not. Nathan risked his own life to bring the much-needed, painful truth to David, right? And he did it because he wanted to bring David back into a right relationship with the Father through repentance, okay? But one of the key things about editors is they don't come to you and accuse you, right? They don't call you out. They come to you through the Spirit with a, 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 a nature of gentleness, 
And that's what Nathan did to David. He didn't come to him and say, hey, you're a murderer and an adulterer and you're filled with lust and you've left God. He didn't say that. He said, let me tell you a story. And he let David come to the conclusion about who he had become on his own. Right? He let him basically condemn himself right, and come to that conclusion. But one of the key things about Nathan and the way he did it is what it led David to do, what it, how it led David to respond to what Nathan had brought to him. Right? Because David, there's a ton of different ways he could have responded. Like I said, he could have Nathan put to death. He could have railed against him. He could have screamed, hey, don't, don't call me out. I'm not guilty. I'm there. Whatever. Tried to justify his actions. He didn't. 2 Samuel verse 12, 13, he says, David responded to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. He didn't try to justify. He didn't argue. He knew. He had already condemned him. He, he had found himself guilty based on Nathan's approach. So David proved in that moment that while Nathan was his editor, right, and it was painful truth, David was also editable, right? Not edible, but editable, right? And he was able to swallow his pride and recognize that he was very much in the wrong and he needed to change. So, and that's a key point. We're going to go into a little bit here, a little bit more here in a bit about being editable, but to flesh out more about what an editor is, one of the ways that I read that I liked the way I put it, it, an editor helps you lift the veil on your own voice. Right? They're that person in your life that you may not always like what they have to say, but what they see in you is the greatness that God created in you. They want that greatness to come out. And so they are going to wage war against anything that tries to silence and bring that down. And if that's something that you're doing to yourself that's damaging... Maybe it's something that even that you're holding on to that you think is right. They're going to come in and say, hey, man, let me tell you a story. Do you think that's the right way? Right? And they're going to bring some painful truth to you because they love you. Ultimately, um, an, an editor, they don't tempt you. right? They test you. Temptation comes from the evil one. Testing is a whole different ballgame. They test what you believe you can do so that you can find out whether or not you're capable, right? But they don't do it in an accusatory way. They don't do it to tear you down. They do it to build you up. Ultimately, when you boil it all down, the editor in your life wants, does not want you to shine. Okay, now listen to me on this. A lot of times you think about friends who are like, hey, man, I, I want you to be that guy, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to boost you up so that you're in the spotlight and everybody thinks that, that you're awesome, right? An editor doesn't do that. They don't want you to shine because they know, because they love you, they know that in shining and it's all about you and, and boosting you up, right, and not correcting you whenever you're out of line and letting you think that you're doing it all yourself, then that's going to lead to pride and ego, and they love you too much to let you go down that path of destruction, Right? So they don't want you to shine. They want the light of Christ, <clears throat> excuse me, they want the light of Christ to shine and illuminate through you, through your heart, so that the others around you will see Christ's light and be drawn to it, not to see you and be drawn to you. That's what an editor brings to your life. Leonard Sweet, uh, David lent me a great book to prep for this, and the author's name is, is Leonard Sweet, and he puts it like this. Nathan is not a hooded, anonymous executioner who wields a sword, but a trusted surgeon that heals the heart with a scalpel. 
Even though the knife is sharp and painful and cuts you deeply, red drenched is the color of healing and wholeness. Right? So sometimes that person has got to cut you a little bit to bring the much-needed healing to your door that, that you don't even realize that you need. Right? And there's, this, is, this editor person is way different than something else we hear tossed around. And this, this other entity, and, and you hear it big time in church circles today and have for a long time, it's a something partner. What is it? So accountability. Somebody said it, right? Okay. Accountability partner, right? There's nothing wrong with an accountability partner at all. Okay. I said in the, the first service, Dave and I are accountability partners. I, I think I'm failing him. But uh, at, at any rate, you know, it's great to have that person. And accountability partners, by and large, are there to help keep you on the right path, to keep you from, from traveling down roads you don't need to travel down. That's what they're, they're there for. But that's not what an editor is. An editor is there to help and promote and enable you to do good. You see the difference? One of the, the best ways that i found to compare this is comparing two men in history, regardless of what you believe about their, uh, their identity and who they are, that's Confucius and Jesus, right? They're both widely accepted as some of the wisest men who ever walked on the face of this earth, right? And so Confucius has a quote. You'll find it very similar to something Jesus said, but it's different. I gotta, man, I'll mess it up every time. Hold on. It's Confucius. I mean, give me a break. So, Confucius say, don't do unto others what you don't want done unto you. Right? It is, it's an accountability statement, and it's designed to help prevent us from doing evil or causing harm. Nothing wrong with it. It's absolutely true. Don't do unto others what you don't want others to do unto you. Jesus said, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That golden rule that we kind of gloss over because we've heard it for so many years, right? But the difference is, is Jesus as an editor is promoting us and enabling us to do good, not just prevent us from doing bad. Does that make sense? So Jesus should be, he is whether we like it or not, and should be our chief editor in our life, right? He's the guy that is always going to step in and guide us and say, hey, I love you. I got some painful things you need to hear. The problem is, is we don't always hear him. Either we're not listening, we can't hear him, something we have done is causing a block, right? But that's the beauty of it because thus enter our brutally honest Christ-centered friend who is informed by the Holy Spirit armed with the frying pan of truth to wallop us upside the head with it. And aside from that, whether we have that friend or not, and we need him, he has some other allies too, right? They're called spouses, right? I've only been married a year, but I'm learning, okay? And, and you know, Jordan can attest, we have some brutal honesty flying through our house. And you know what? I firmly believe that if you don't have brutal honesty flying through your house, then there should be, right? Maybe need to look. Somebody may be holding something back. But the key here is, is just like with an editor and an edited, and a husband and a wife in that brutal honesty going between, that can only exist and peace exists if, one, pride is left at the door, and pride is not a factor, which is a very difficult thing to do for any of us, and B, whatever the brutal honesty is, it is truly delivered out of love and not out of hatred, jealousy, selfishness, cynicism, any of those other things, or just to cut deeply, right? You've been wounded, I'm going to cut back. 
If those two criteria exist, then there can be peace as a result of that brutal honesty. That when, when you need to be a Nathan to your spouse or you need to be a Nathan to your best friend, if it's delivered in love, that's awesome, but it also has to be received in humility. And this is exactly why they say that humility is the beginning of wisdom in Scripture. I got my pages out of order. That's all right. So, hold on one second, I'll get back to it. All right, so at any rate, uh, if you ever want to meet a Nathan, okay, if you ever need to meet a Nathan, somebody who is that person. Now, she was actually in the first service, and uh, I didn't ask her ahead of time that I could talk about her. Um, but that is Kimberly Robertson. For those of you who know her, she is a walking, breathing Nathan, right? She has a heart the size of Texas. She loves everybody so much, but she is absolutely willing, and you, you meet her, you'll know, to tell you exactly what she believes out of love. She's one of the greatest examples I've ever met of, right? And so we're very blessed to have her here. If you want to learn how to become a Nathan, go hang out with Kimberly. If you want to learn how to receive and be an edited Go hang out with Kimberly, right? You will learn. And I'm also blessed uh, in that, you know, it's funny how friends go different paths. You know, your friends literally from like elementary school, and then you, you grow up, right? And then the, you, you go your separate ways. But there's certain things about those friends from your childhood, there's certain traits that had always existed, right? And I was very much blessed all my life to this day that I have had a truth teller from our early, early days. And, and this guy is... He will tell you whether you want to hear it or not. He's going to tell you his opinion. You never have to worry about it, whether or not he's holding something back. All right? He's going to tell you straight up. Okay? And I'm very blessed that God has brought us back together actually here through Redeemer. And that's Philip Westbrook. Raise your hand, Philip. There you go. So from elementary school on, you may not want to hear it, but Philip was going to tell you. All right? And he was going to be God's honest truth. And it was stuff you needed to hear. Nobody else was going to tell you. But he was more concerned about bringing the truth to you. Hey, man then how you're going to feel about it. Hey, get over it. Here's the truth of the matter. And so I'm, I'm blessed with those people in my life. Now, um, I had a, a friend that um, when uh, last year we, I had some, a, a moment of business excitement, if you will. I shared a, or I put a fan up in Poteet, Texas, if you all know where that is, and the customer shared it on Facebook and he called me 24 hours later, and he said, hey, man, you, uh, have you seen Facebook? I was like, no, what's up? And he said, you might want to check it. And so within a week, uh, we had gone 500,000 shares, 5 million views from here to China, right? And so I'm sitting there going, oh, my gosh, what's about to happen, you know? And so in the midst of all this, one of my best friends called me, and he's been successful in business. And he calls me up, and, and he said, hey, man, really excited for you. Saw what happened on Facebook. Hey, thanks. And he said, what's your plan? And I kind of laid in, well, you know, how do you plan for something like this? You know, you go viral, I don't know. But here's my plan. And he's like, oh. He said, I want you to take what I'm about to say the right way. And I was like, okay. And he said, you're not equipped for this. I was like, well, well yeah, man, I know there's a lot of I don't know, you know, not a, I need to learn. He said, no, no, no. Man, I'm, I'm just being honest with you. You're not equipped to handle this level of success. Basically, you don't have what it takes to handle this. You're not equipped for it. And I remember sitting there, my best friend, 
And I was like, and, and I, I was dumbfounded, and I, and I just said, you know what, you're probably right. And I hung up. And so the first thought to my heart was what? Fear. Oh, my gosh. For the first time in my life, I'd never feared success before. But in that moment, I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm, I'm afraid. What, what if he's right? What if I don't have what it takes to meet this? What if I, I'm not smart enough? What if I'm not capable? Of, I, I don't, I'm not equipped. What does that even mean? I, what if he's right? So fear. You know, that got followed by pride. Wait a minute, man. You knew me in college. You, you weren't with me in the Marine Corps. You don't know where I've been, the responsibility I had on my shoulders. You have no idea. Pride. Who are you to call me? Anger. Fear, pride, anger. If you ever want to find a way to figure out whether or not that person that's bringing you truth, that brutal honest, brutally honest truth, is an editor, right, and not somebody that needs to be edited, Bounce it off the fruits of the Spirit. And I'd encourage you to memorize them because it's always a check and balance. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, and self-control. Fear, pride, and anger don't fall into those. Right? When I bounce it off of them, I'm like, wait a minute. It may be a truth teller, but it's not coming from the right sources. Okay? It shouldn't instill fear. Wait a minute. Right? It doesn't promote any type of positives. And the other check on that is, if they deliver it to you out of love, or, or any of the rest of the fruits of the Spirit, and you look at it, you know, Nathan delivered it to David out of gentleness. Okay? He didn't do it in, a, in, a, in an angry manner, in an accusatory manner. He did it gently. Right? If they bring it to you in that manner, but then also, if what they recommend and the advice that they bring to you produces more fruit, Right? That's when you know that it's a person informed by the Spirit because it is going to bring about more life for the guidance that they give you. Does that make sense? Now, um, there's something to be said for having that editor, but there's also something to be said, as, as I said earlier, for being the edited. How do we handle being edited that's really important because you can have the greatest editor in the world completely spiritually informed or spirit informed and wise but if you don't listen right so how do we do that and this is going to sound like a church answer okay and and right you always have those god jesus right but literally we must know christ intimately and you say yeah james that's why we're in church i got it okay but no there's a psychological reason behind it Okay, and then Christ knew that when he created us. Whenever we do not rely fully on Christ for our, our confidence, our strength, and our abilities, right, then we tend to start to rely on something else, right? And nine times out of ten, what is that? Us. We start to rely on ourselves. We start to see that we did that. I did that, right? We start to take the credit for the things that we're accomplishing and the, and the things that we're doing, right? And so... It's why uh, George MacDonald says, and I, and I love the quote, and you all probably heard me say it quite a few times, in anything man does without God, he must fail miserably or succeed more miserably, right? Because it, we begin to think highly of ourselves, right? And so what happens is when we begin to think highly of ourselves, it leads to pride and ego, right? And that is a wall to the wisdom that needs to get in. So... Whenever that friend appears with the sword of truth or, or the scalpel of truth, as we talked about earlier, 
and lays this open for the world to see, that wall, that ego, it's going to cause us to focus completely on what we see as a wound, that pain inflicted when that truth is brought in, whatever it is, something we didn't want to hear, some truth about ourselves that hurt when that person who loves us brought it to us. We don't see the love that it was delivered by. We don't think about the healing that's going to occur from what they have told us. We just focus on the pain because our ego has been hurt. But when we come to know Christ intimately, and we see and understand who he is, what he did for us. When we understand that we are saved by grace through faith, that's it. There's nothing we can do to make God love us more. Nothing we can do to make God love us less. When we truly understand that, that we don't think that we're all that in a bag of potato chips, right? We understand that Christ is and that the credit belongs to him. We don't think about ourselves, right? And thus, there's no ego. And that's why humility truly is the beginning of wisdom. It opens our heart to the truth. <clears throat> so we eliminate pride. We embrace humility, right, to be edited effectively. And think about it. No one, nothing good has ever come from embracing pride. Think about that. It's pride that caused the devil to be the devil, thinking he could be above God. It's pride that led to Adam and Eve's fall. Pride is the root of every sin, the most dangerous of all sins, and it can keep us from hearing the words of Christ. It can keep us from hearing the discerning words of a friend that loves us, however painful it may be. Was that movie back in the 90s, A Few Good Men? You can't handle the truth, right? And some of us may feel that way when it comes our way, and a lot of times that's because we don't want to hear what's coming, and just Think about it this way. Truth sounds like hate a lot of times to those who hate the truth. And there's been times in my life where I hated the truth, but it came anyway. And it was sound and it was right. So we have to ask ourselves, can we recognize truth for what it is? Or do we see it as hate coming in? Is it love that's being, it's being delivered by or is it not? So Christ has this mission for us. And so he needs us to be able to make that distinction because when he sends these folks to us, he needs us to be wise enough to see who he sent to us and recognize them as a wise advisor, a Nathan, and humble enough to act on what they recommend to us, right? So I've got, we're, we're going to close out with a, a quick video clip. We good for it? Okay. And you're probably going to recognize the movie, at least, well, there's a lot of younger faces in here, so maybe not. But uh, th I think this clip shows a great example of two men who, from boyhood, were right next to one another. They, they fought alongside one another. They endured pain and grief and suffering with one another. And then they moved on into adulthood, right? One of them left for a long time. He gained a lot of wisdom. A lot of knowledge, and then he came back. He was the editor, right? And he's going to come back to his friend who's about to get edited, right? And I think it's a, a great display of that. But the most important thing is how they resolve at the end, that editor-edited relationship. And I want you to really key in on that at the very end of the clip. So let's watch this real quick. So this is a friendship we need, summed up. Now, hopefully your friend hadn't smacked you in the forehead with a rock unless you really needed it. But hopefully they did it out of love if they did. It's that person who we trust, that trusted advisor, been with us from the beginning, right? Or maybe just somebody who came into our life that we have found that the root of our relationship in Christ and Christ-centered. 
they don't tell us that we can't do something. They let us uh, figure out on our own that we can't do something by asking us some questions, right, to bring us to the truth of what our true capabilities are. And then maybe if we've forgotten some truth or gotten off the path, they remind us of something that we've forgotten about, uh, maybe from earlier days or something that we originally um, had walked the straight path. I should have remembered the rocks, right? Uh, you should have. But the most important part is once that rock goes sailing in and smacks him in the forehead, right, is what happens after that. The editor walks up, he sticks his hand out, and he says, it's good to see you. And the edited says, I welcome home. Accepted in humility, delivered out of love. In closing, when Nathan brought the painful truth to David, and David repented and returned to the Lord, he actually named one of his sons Nathan. And it's from this line, from David to Nathan and on down, that the truth, the word made flesh, Christ himself eventually came. Nathan, a namesake, think about this, for the bringing of truth through pain and death that led to repentance. Doesn't that sound like a familiar story? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that everyone here as we leave this place would come to know you in a greater way by finding that editor in their life, their Nathan, who's going to bring them the truth even when they're not listening. Lord, I ask that the Nathans in the room or the ones that will become Nathans, Lord, I give you the strength for them to continue to bring the truth in the way that those that they love need to hear it. Be with us this week and let us have a great week of worship. In your name we pray. Amen.